Hello, good morning, good evening, and good night, everybody. It is the 8-Bit Salt Bit here. I am the Pit. And I am the Salt. And today, we are talking about Dungeons & Dragons, if you couldn't have guessed already. Uh, more specifically, the DMing side, the dungeon mastering side of things. Uh, something very passionate that Richard and myself are about. Um, and we are joined here with Jackie, who is a fellow DM, a great one at that. Jackie? Thank you. I'm glad someone thinks I'm pretty great at it. Yes, absolutely. So, Richard, um, I think we should start off by maybe tell us what got you into D&D. Oh, man. Well, I can tell you what got me out of it for a long time before I was into it. Yeah, let's hear it. So, the, my first introduction to D&D was when I was 16. And uh, there was this guy I knew. We'll call him Steve. That's not his name. but um, And he's like, hey, let's play D&D. And I'm like, no, that's a nerd's game, you fucking loser. And he's like, I'll give it a shot. Everybody loves it. And I'm like, okay, why not? I'll give it a shot. And then he made this, like, glittery panda character, and I'm like, I'm out, dude. This is so dumb. Like, just the way it was run, the way it was handled, it was dumb. So you were you were a player, to, to yes. be clear. Yes, And And so and were so, you the panda? No, or he no, made he, he made a panda. <laughs> okay, what did you make? Uh, I made, like, an orc something, probably a barbarian, because that's what I always play. Oh, yeah, was that the origins of Tuna Can? It might have been. <laughs> um, Basic. But... Uh, years and years later, uh, while working at the outlet center, uh, an employee started there, um, Klaus von Flappy Waffle. Oh God. Yes. And he had mentioned playing D and D and I'm like, you know what? I'm a little bit older now. It might, seems like it might be kind of fun. And we got this group together with, uh, Jackie included and just kicked it off. And that's kind of the origin story. Okay. Okay. So when you made this glittery panda, or rather, it's we when you were experienced to this glittery panda, how old were you? Uh, when um, I was sixteen with the glittery panda, but when I <laughs> came into D and D like officially, I was twenty five, twenty six. That's really interesting. I also came into D and D late. Jackie, how about yourself? Um, I was the classic thirteen year old uh, nerd kid that was into D and D. But no one was into D&D at the time because I'm of an age that when I was 13, it was very uncool. And no one else wanted to play with me. So I would just have to make my own characters out of the player's handbook because that's the only book I had because that's all we could afford. And I would just make character after character and sit by myself and uh, look at them. That is really sad, actually. <laughs> yeah, dude. One man D&D. That's... That's Oof. that's impressive. So when did yeah, you... it was D or D actually. <laughs> <laughs> so... I had to pick which one I was going to do each time. So, so when did you start? Did you just start DMing first then, or were you in a player later on? I actually started as a player. So I met a new group of friends, and they had a friend who owned a tabletop gaming store at the time. And they were like, hey, we're going to start running a game. Do you want to play? And I was like, yeah, but I've never really played before, you know. Like, I know how to make a character, but that's about, you know, where it stops. And they're like, oh, well, you can join in. And I ended up joining, and we had a great session. And then I was like, well, I like this. And they're like, well, you can keep coming back. We'll keep doing this. And I got a decent amount of player experience with kind of a more um, – freestyle dm that like kind of played it by ear and i really i really liked how that went and 
I kept playing and the more I played, the more I liked it. And that's really what got me into it was the freedom to kind of be able to do whatever you want. This was kind of back also when video games weren't open world and most of the time you couldn't really do whatever you wanted. So the option to really do what you wanted in a fantasy world other than the, you know, choose your own adventure books was really cool. And having somebody who could tell that story on the fly really inspired how I still look at the game. That's awesome. That, that's really cool that you managed to find a group. That, that, I mean, I've kind of been in that ex- experience too, where it's like you, you make a character and you have no, nothing to do with it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take the reins for a minute. Cause my, my actual start to D and D was DMing. I actually had never even been a player and I just decided that I would want to DM with my close friends and they're like, yeah, let's do it. That, that sounds great. It was not great. Um, I didn't read any of the books. I didn't, I didn't read anything. I was just like, I'm just going to wing it. And to be fair, I think that's how I have evolved as a DM is I've gotten really good at improv. Um, now, obviously I know much more about the books, how the game works. You can't just freestyle everything. My first campaign was filled with like pop culture references, whether it be like horror, fantasy, just all sorts of crazy shit thrown in. Michael Myers was in it, like stalking him through the woods, just crazy shit like that. And um, I actually wasn't very good with player agency in that game. I wasn't necessarily railroading people. Um, Railroading, for those of you who don't know, is basically like sticking them, the players on a path where like, oh, they want to do this. Too bad. You're going to do this because that's what I want you to do. So... You know, each DM kind of has their way to railroad players because to a degree you have to a little bit to make sure that the story doesn't go AWOL. But um, I I actually ended up having a player get, um, I will say, SA'd by an orc against his will. Um, so he basically fell into a basement and there was a ravenous orc that was in the basement. And I basically didn't give him any choice. He just got... Um, he got plowed by this orc. <laughs> he got got. He got got he by got this orc. Uh, you know what? And I still have the exact picture in my head. I like linked him a picture of what this orc looked like, and it was like a Rule Thirty Four orc. Oh no! And so I still like have that memory burned in my brain. And from that moment forward, I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna have any type of like. I tried to keep sexuality like to a minimum in my games because I think a lot of players are like, I'm gonna seduce the dragon. And I, so, I try to avoid that. So you let them, and then the dragon, like, bones them to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, it looked like a female dragon, but it's actually a male dragon. So yeah. have fun with that. Um, but, yeah, so that was my intro, is I was actually just a really shitty DM. Um, and I, I feel, not tooting my horn too much, but I feel like I'm a much better DM nowadays than when I had first started. I don't really think it takes much to be better than that, but I'll probably agree. Yeah, that's true. It was It, it was a... Um, it was a really shitty time for them. And it was I, like, I thought they were having fun. I'm like, you, I was like, Michael Myers, that's really cool, right? And then, oh, your skin's running away from you. You better go catch it. That This is fun, right? <laughs> you know, it's just things like that. So They were just being polite. Um, yeah, I I feel really bad. but um, How magnanimous of them. Yeah, yeah, truly, honestly, like the pity. So down to real brass tacks here. Um and I feel like I already know the answer, especially looking at you two. I'm kind of the oddball here. Uh, what do you guys prefer? We'll, we'll start with Jackie. What do you prefer? Do you prefer um, published D&D adventures or off-the-rails, very custom? So I've 
had a small amount of experience doing like published materials and it's just kind of hard for me to be able to put that level of preparation into something while also trying to have a job and a life and do things and I have huge respect for the DMs that can do that but I'm not one of them and I just kind of started realizing that I have a much better time with my like work DM balance and just a much better time engaging in it when I just do absolutely off the cuff off the fly I just sit down with the group and I say you guys are here and this is what's around you what do you do and they think of something to do and then I facilitate that and they go do it and I help them tell the story about that and I've also found that players like Corey kind of mentioned are not good at sticking to anything you may have in mind. <laughs> anything you may have thought of in your entire life, they're going to think of something else, and they're going to go do that. There's just no way to predict it. And to me, it feels kind of controlling to, in a way, to say, you can't do that just because I didn't plan for something. And it's like, sure, if they can't do it, they can't do it. But if it's just from a lack of planning on my part, I feel kind of like a jerk not letting them go do that. So I found that minimizing specific preparation and just having a rough outline in your head really gives you the freedom to like let them take this where they want to take this and for me to just tell their story rather than them playing in my story. It just seems like it feels kind of more organic and like also that I'm there with them and like I can just create monsters and make them as hard as I want them off the fly instead of trying to have a selection of monsters and maybe let them go somewhere else, but then I have to then reskin one of these monsters I'd prepped for this other thing that they didn't go for. And it's just, it's so much easier to just pull it out of my own head as we're going. And it makes it seem like it can be a little more silly and a little more fun and just a little more. And it's more tailored to the players than what I could do with just published material. And there's also those DMs who can take published material and really spin it into their own thing and help you create this world. But I'm also not one of those. So this is just really the way I enjoy doing it best. That what was, about you, Corey? That was a really articulate answer. I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I, I, you already know, right? I'm also not into the books. Um, my whole thing, again, like when I first started D&D, is I just take things that I think are fun, what I think my players will enjoy, and I try to include that. Um, now, Jackie brought up a good point about um, monster design and trying to balance that. And one thing that can be really difficult about kind of winging it is trying to decide what um, like what difficulty you want these monsters to be. And, you know, you could have started them at level one. I had a campaign recently where I started them at level, uh, I believe, 14. And trying to balance that right off the cuff of just like, okay, these, these guys are level 14. They can they can fuck shit up really hard. Yeah. They're like pseudo gods at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but you know what, what's interesting is depending on the skill level of the player, you could be level 20 and you could just, you could, you could get killed very easily. I mean, D and D is a ruthless game. I I think a big part of that is somebody's, like you said, the player, somebody's ability to think outside of the box with their character. It's very important as opposed to being like, Oh, I know that fireball is a move. Yeah. It's, it's so important for players to really know what they can do. And when you're at such a high level, there's so many different things you can do that it's it's often overwhelming for players where they're just like, I don't know, I have this high-level spell. I'm just going to cast that. You know, it, it does the most damage. And sometimes that gets the job done. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I 
going back to the original topic of how I like to play is it's very, very much um, just off the wall and very um, improv. I'm 100% improv. I, I basically get in my head uh, some of the key players, some of the like, who is the big bad evil guy? We figure that out. You know, who's some really cool, funny, you know, comic relief characters, figure that out. Who's some serious, you know, help that you guys can get. Just, you know, like I said, key points to the campaign. And then I just let them free roam. I have an idea of what I want on the map. And then what's really cool is I actually have the players. They they enjoy doing this. If they didn't, I wouldn't. But um, fill out the map themselves. Um, we have one guy especially that likes to uh, draw things out. Um, so I, th I often find that to be... Um, much easier for me to improv. Um, whereas with the books, I, I take a, I take a lot of respect and, um, knowledge from those books, but yeah, running, running a preset campaign just feels kind of weird to me. Cause I, I just love inserting crazy shit into my campaigns. And I feel like you're a bit, you, the DM are a bit more railroaded per se. Um, so I, I, I enjoy it. And actually what's, what's really cool is I like being in other, uh, campaigns with other dms you know if i'm a player richard i've taken so much from your campaign that i've learned from just like listening to you dm and oh, put it in thank my you. own as well as jackie's um jackie had a, actually a whole giant area that i totally repurposed <laughs> uh we had a we had a, a place in jackie's campaign that was called heck and it was just the most fucking annoying like everybody's monotone getting money heck would actually say it was the most freaking annoying yeah that's it, what they do it's the most freaking yeah it, but it's just you know I, I like to take things from other players campaigns that people are receptive to and put it into mine and i really fleshed out heck i think you would be proud i, mean, I know you didn't get to experience that jackie but it um, was really good the, the sepia shekels were real <laughs> that's the currency in heck by the way uh, they are very very difficult to obtain <laughs> um and i mean yeah to your credit to yours and Jackie's credit, uh, Heck was, I mean, the the initial thought process of Heck when we got there in your campaign, Jackie, and everybody talked like this, and I hated it. Like, I love the idea, oh, yeah. but I hate those people, like just yeah. me as a person. And so I'm playing in Corey's campaign, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, you guys are in, He we, we meet somebody, we're not sure where we are, we meet somebody, he's like, what can I do for you? And I'm like, no, yeah. no, I'm not doing it again. Just <laughs> not again. <laughs> yeah, and and so. to make matters worse, I was playing the same character. I was playing Tuna Can. <laughs> yeah. So and the same, yeah, the same character who's already, who's, who's already lived through heck is now back in heck. And what's the most there. heck thing ever? It is truly. Um, yeah. Everything is bureau bureaucratic, bureaucratic there. Um, lots of paperwork, lots of monotony, um, dull emotion, uh, it's miserable, but at the same time, it's so exciting. Like the people aren't <laughs> exciting, but like everything surrounding that. Um, there was I remember in the town outside of the town in Heck. So Heckington's Fieldsville was the name of uh, <laughs> the capital city in Heck, and um, <laughs> and outside of Heck, they had these large walls because these giant sloths, which I just feel is perfect for that kind of vibe, would like hunt down the citizens of of Heckington's Fieldsville. So they had to be very careful. Yeah. Um, either way, it was great from both of you, as I guess is what I was getting at. Um, yeah. How about yourself, Richard? How do you like to play? So I, I'm kind of the odd man out here. I like a little bit of freeform, but I much prefer source material. And that's only because when I go 100% freeform, even in my most recent campaign, I used a lot of source material mixed with custom stuff. Because when I go freeform, sometimes the players will say, hey, 
what about this? And I'm like, uh, like, I just don't have an answer. And it leaves me feeling really dumbfounded and it kind of slows their experience down. So if I have those source material books, uh, one of my favorites, Curse of Strahd. I think I've run it with everybody. I That's no surprise. Yeah. If if there was a Jeopardy article, um, we could probably easily, easily get that. What's Richard's favorite campaign? I think it's the one that I've actually been in uh, twice when run by him in two different groups. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my favorite. Hey, I also ran Storm King's Thunder. Well, yeah, but I was in Curse of Strahd with you DMing Fair twice. Um, but... Uh, it's the source material I enjoy because it's something that I can read, memorize, and then I know what I'm doing when I go into the game. So if I have to freeform a little, I can. But if they have questions, I have answers. And that makes a difference to me. It's funny because uh, not only have you ran it twice, but I'm pretty sure your newest campaign also had Strahd in it. So it's just like you can't escape from Strahd. He's always everywhere. I had him in my campaign, but he's kind of derpy. <laughs> so, yeah. Um he was extra derpy in with the um, what was it called? The straddle wagon. The straddle oh, wagon. wagon and the straddle waddle. And the straddle waddle. Let's. What are those, Richard? Please. Oh my God. Um, okay, so I I only distinctly remember the straddle wagon. Um, the straddle wagon is Strahd's uh, horse and carriage uh, combo that he keeps outside of his castle. That my players uh, viciously defamed. Uh, <laughs> And then I believe they cast like a fly spell or something on it to jump over a gate. And then they smashed it into the ground. So what happened was there was a player who was an Azamar, hmm. And he, um, except having wings on his, did he have, oh wait, no, no, no. He had the wings. But anytime he, um, you know, about 24 hours after you eat, um, he... Apparently, if you used it as such of like a potion, you could gain the power of flight for a moment. And um, who? I'm pretty sure someone changed into an animal and then received the powers of flight. Dude, that and yeah. <laughs> that campaign was so long ago. I just remember Chris saying, "I have a plan," and never committing to combat. I'm I'm sorry. Just to clarify, just to clarify, he could eat shit and fly. <laughs> is, is that where we're going with this well we were going over a gate but we can go there too yeah okay oh my god um <laughs> but yeah uh long story short they they crashed the straddle wagon after spending all this time trying to figure out how to get the straddle wagon um and the crash straddle wagon actually contained a new player which was cool that's how we introduced our friend to the game that that is actually one of the, my favorite things to do is when a player joins the campaign, how how you introduce them. Um, it can be something as like them walking up, "Hi, how you doing? I'd like to help you." Or they could be. It's almost like a um, Vincent Valentine effect from Final Fantasy VII, where it's like you could totally miss him, mm -hmm. but, but you just coincidentally broke open this carriage where he was prisoner and new player. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that was totally planned the whole time. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing that you can always, uh, when, when introducing any players, new players, old players, um, but when introducing players, my favorite thing is that you can tell who you need to kind of baby through the game versus who knows what they're doing by how they introduce their character. Absolutely. Because yeah. you'll have somebody that, you know, has played for a while and they'll come out and they'll say, you know, I'm Rathgar Firearm and I'm a level 17 Barbarian and I've done this, 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 and this, and he has his whole character down. And then you have this brand new player and they're like, 
I think I'm an elf and I'm a sorcerer. And my name's GF. <laughs> <laughs> and then that really gives you that insight into like, okay, I got to be easy on this person and this person I can kind of run through the ringer because they know what they're doing. Another in- interesting thing to to kind of play off of that is um, not every player is the same as far as their interaction with the world. Um, what I mean by that is I have one player um, and he does not, he, he's not very talkative. Um, he, he knows what he's doing, but he is, he's very quiet. And so it, it's kind of the difficult part of being a DM is make sure that they don't get left behind because, you know, sometimes there'll be one or two players that are much more talkative. And so a lot of times they'll take the reins, but it's important as a DM be like, okay, is that what everybody wants to do? Because a lot of people just, they sit back, they're just there to have a fun time and they don't want to put in their input. So you said something there, Corey, and it reminded me. Best phrase as a DM, are you sure? Are you sure is so important. Uh, <laughs> my my version of are you sure is is that your final answer? The the do you want to who wants to be a millionaire? Is that your final answer? And that it was always my cue to be like, this is the wrong fucking thing. Do not do that. I also like to go, so is that what everyone would like to do? Yeah. And I kind of <laughs> slow look around the room. Yeah, like <clears throat> And that's actually something that's interesting is uh, almost all of my DMing experience has been online. You mentioned when looking around the room. I, I don't think I've ever DMed in person except once or twice as a special occasion. Um, so that's that's actually really interesting. Um, nowadays, you can do DMing online and just have a whole campaign with like Discord and um, Roll20. And it's actually very uh, effective and fun. And to me, that's really opened up the doors to availability for um, playing D- Dungeons & Dragons. As adults, not everybody has the time to meet up in person, you know, once or twice a week. That's just not going to happen. Being able to be in your own home is amazing and has really improved um, D&D as a whole. Yeah, the biggest uh, Dungeons & Dragons group killer is availability. Yes. Um, (laughs) Everybody who's been in a campaign knows the pain of, like, everyone's ready to go, and there's always one person who's like, shit, I can't make it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a real struggle. Um, Guys, girls... All those people in between. Yeah. (laughs) This is for my pure, unadulterated enjoyment. Sure. Who is your favorite character that you've created in D&D? And what was the voice? Uh, And personality. I think I already know mine. It's pretty easy. But Jackie, you can go. I was actually going to say that this entire question is for Corey. (laughs) And I am going to sit and listen. And um, most of this happened in my living room. Yeah, no, uh, you, Jackie, I insist that you go first because I, I could probably talk for a minute about this. So you, you go for it. I specifically want you to talk for at least a minute about this. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. So my the, my favorite character that I've ever created and ever since his inception, um, I have had him in every single campaign I've had, even if I'm DMing, he's a side character and um, he's a piece of shit to clarify. <laughs> and his name is Eshbone. I got the name from um, an N64 game. It's a planet you go to. It's a level in um, Jet Force Gemini. I, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but that's that's what I go by, Eshbone. Yeah, and Jet Force Gemini is very niche. It is. It is. I love that game. It was like one of my favorite games as a kid. So that's what I did. And Eshbone is a human who thinks he is a skeleton. And his voice, I'll do his voice in a second, but he basically woke up at the ruins of a tower surrounded by dead people. And um, he found a flute. He, he started out as a bard and on the flute, it said Eshbone. Um, so he's like, okay, I'm surrounded by dead people. I'm obviously dead. And here's this flute. So my name's obviously Eshbone. 
Um, little does he know, it's basically like um, like Fender. You know, it's just, there's some guy, there's some guy in the world who just makes flutes and his name's Eshbone and he doesn't know that this bastard took his name and is just tarnishing it. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was a bard and he was, it was my first like player experience. So I, I rolled him very poorly. He was mad high in strength and, um, he just didn't do well. He sucked as a, as a character and I felt so bad for the campaign. I think when you rolled the character, didn't you just put the stats in the order you rolled them? Because uh, yes. you didn't know you could reassign them? Yes. It was <laughs> I, I was used to being a DM and just having play, players like make their characters and just roll with it. So I'm like, cool, you have your character, you know your stats, sure. Uh, again, I, I got into D D when I was like twenty seven. Um, and so yeah, I was <laughs> I was a late bloomer. And so now I have so much knowledge and just looking back on it, it's so funny and just so bad. But uh, Eshbone is, yeah, he, he's, um, I believe he's chaotic evil. He's just, he's only out for himself. <laughs> he certainly just, went that way. Yeah, and he's rabid as fuck. And so his voice was basically Skeletor. And I don't know if I'm going to blow out the microphone. Uh, I'm sorry ahead of time. Bunny talk like this. I'll, I'll back up. It's like, I'll get you. You're causing me problems. That's my property. And that, that was his voice. Everything, everything was his property. So he lay claim to everything. And the pl- try to charge rent. Yeah, he tried to charge people. Um, and he, I, you know, he just caused problems for the players. He caused problems for, like, anyone who they wanted to ally with. And um, he's just a general bastard the whole campaign. And then towards the end of that campaign, he actually got forcefully married to, an, like, an Eskimo dwarf woman. And um, it was, her name was Grandma Midgemane. <laughs> Grandmammy Midgemane. Yeah, Grandmammy Midgemane. So there's this old lady who is infinitely powerful. For those of you who don't know, the maximum level in D&D is level 20. <clears throat> and she was level 50. Um, so that was definitely like a, like a ha-ha on Jackie's part. This was Jackie's campaign. <laughs> so um, he was basically force, forcefully... Um, wed. Forcefully wed, yeah. And so... He was wed to her. Yeah, and it was... It was very a very humbling experience for Eshbone. And then since then, since I've been DMing, he's been in every campaign. Um, the last campaign he was in, he actually ended up becoming an arch lich. Um, <laughs> an actual skeleton, finally. An actual skeleton. He actually died and became a skeleton. And so it was Dreams just, do come true. Well, I mean, it's not really a dream of his. He actually thinks he's dead. So to him, that was like a normal Tuesday night. I was actually about to ask, did this change anything for him? No, absolutely He has not. no idea any transition happened. No, no, and none at all. Um, he, oh yeah, he was also basically, he was really foul. Um, he like was always just like covered in fecal matter and blood and whatever. And he never really showered. Um, and he's, his, um, outfit was basically like a a skeleton onesie. It was like a a black, like nylon onesie that he drew bones on poorly. (laughs) Um, and yeah, he's like an old man. He's like 55 when he was still alive. So he was just crazy menace. Yeah. One of the best parts, too, is he would wear face paint and with a, like, white skull kind of poorly drawn on. But he had a beard, so there was always blood and face paint kind of crusted in there in, like, the grossest way. And it would just get reapplied as needed. Yeah. So uh, that was was a a fun character. Um, It's it's fun to do it once, but I would would never probably play him again simply because, like... He's too chaotic. He's too chaotic. It it really derails a lot for the the DM. I, there is so many so many times where I'm like, I'm just not going to say anything because I'm just going to cause problems. Because <laughs> you want to play your character. Once you get, that's one thing as a player is it's so important to get into your character and 
do things they would do, not what you would do. And it's so hard sometimes when you're playing like an idiot. You're like, you you know the answer to this riddle, like, but you you can't answer it. You can't metagame. And I, I think that's really important to making D&D fun is playing to your character, not to yourself. And Well, that's what makes DMing fun to me. You get to play all the characters. I mean, that's amazing. I, I love getting into those roles and the voices and the stupidity and the heroics. and Sure. Richard, what's your favorite character? Well, we've mentioned him a couple times. Tuna Can. Tuna Can. Did he actually have a name? Long Forgotten, perhaps? He did. It is Long Forgotten. Um, that was also introduced into Jackie's campaign, I believe. Yeah, I think it actually was. And you were just a normal guy at first. Yeah, so, okay. The story of Tunican, the the initial story of Tunican before it was corrupted by my friends, um, was he was a half orc uh, who was raised barbarian in his early years, but then was taken by his mother um, later. Not taken was went to, um, and kind of learned to be live more civilized. So when he ended up finding the adventuring party, he wasn't your everyday like I'm gonna kill everything barbarian. Um, he definitely would kill everything, but. That wasn't his total goal in life. Over time, and I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. It's the party. Uh, how Tunican came to be is his average-sized phallus continued to grow and grow and grow. And I think the basis for it was was just that Tunican was big, so he must have a large wiener. Um, sure. But... It didn't stop until it was like comical, like he could wrap it around his waist and beat somebody to death with it. Yeah, so every time they basically mentioned it, it's like, oh yeah, it's actually this long. It's actually this long. And that's why his nickname is Tunican, because that was the general um, circum yeah. circumference of the schlongus. Yeah, at the beginning, when it first started getting hilariously bigger, because people would be like, oh, what is that? You know, haha, <laughs> eight inches. And then someone's like, no, yeah, I think that's a good 10 inches. You know, yeah, you're right, 10 inches. And they're like, yeah, you're right, like a foot. And that just went on for session after session until <laughs> it. someone <laughs> asked what the girth was. And I said, have you ever seen a tuna can? <laughs> <laughs> And I, I want to put this in perspective. I tried to play this character serious. Like, this was meant for me to have a serious barbarian-classed character. And he did. He played him very seriously. At least in the, in the campaign he was in for me. He, he played him very seriously and true to character. And he didn't let his Giga Schlong slow him down at all. Yeah, he... Uh, Richard really just played this like all of these things weren't happening around him as his schlong was just getting longer and longer. He just <laughs> acted like the serious and surprisingly intelligent and well-read orc barbarian that he was. And he would just truck on and keep going regardless of the very easily um, followed trail that he left behind the party from dragging in the dirt everywhere <laughs> they went. And so uh, Tunican over time, um, he he did get angrier, he did get more barbaric, through a series of misfortunate events where he kept getting eaten by the same dragon over and over and over. And then the dragon would just spit him out in some other time, some other dimension, something. Yeah, I actually ended up naming that dragon. I gave him the name of Kiftblaum. Yes. Uh, just, it just sounded good. It, it I was that good. name. It was good. And there, there's a whole story there. But uh, yeah, so Tunican was definitely my favorite character. Now I have played quite a few others. And his voice was always really easy for me, um, just because it's your generic, very low. Like, I, I think we should kill him. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, I always, um, I, when I do a low voice, I always go to Salt Snake. And, oh, my God. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, one of my favorite phrases as a barbarian would always be, I would like to rage. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like we can't even talk about D&D without going over, um, you know, uh, some of the more popular DMs and campaigns. And I, I feel I'm already here. <laughs> yes, of course. I actually am spacing the name. Uh, Matt Mercer? Well, yeah, the, as a DM, but what is his program? Uh, Critical Role. Critical Role. Um, I think a lot of people getting into D&D see Critical Role first, and they have an unrealistic um, expectation of what D&D is supposed to be because those are, like, professionals. They, they fucking get paid to play D&D. Like, well, and before that, they were voice actors, every one of them. Oh, yeah, and it's it's incredible. I mean, watching that, if, if you guys ever wanted to get into D&D, I mean, Critical Role is the place to start. Matt Mercer is a... I always say I I tell my wife all the time I'm like this is bullshit that this guy gets to be like such a knowledgeable fucking database for D and D like that guy knows everything about everything and he can do like any fucking sound effect and voice in the planet and he's gorgeous that man is gorgeous <laughs> it's like that man has it all dude I'm I'm sure he gets paid plenty of money so he's like this rich gorgeous knowledgeable nerd fuck you Matt Mercer <laughs> but I love you <laughs> um. Notice me, senpai. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) It's high noon. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's done a lot of voice work. Before we get too off track, I'm not letting you get out of this, Jackie. Yes. Who was your favorite character that you played? And what was the voice? What was their personality? Who were they? Okay, so I would say um, I've always preferred playing kind of the big, strong melee class. I like... But, like, I like high damage like just absolute blender of a character yeah and i and it would always just go into strength and like you know dexterity or what have you for what i was doing to blend and um i also have always liked characters that have animals so one of my favorite options is a paladin and i like to do the mounted combat and Anyway, I decided that for the summon steed, I wanted mine to at least be a reskinned option, but I wanted it reskinned as a goat. And I ended up being a goat riding paladin, and it was just a lot of fun to like send my goat into weird goat shenanigans and use him as bait and kind of just use him to cause problems as well. Like it was just kind of a fun little way to be silly with a serious paladin character and that was probably my favorite because she was also very effective in combat but the goat was absolutely ev- never effective in combat except for <laughs> moving the paladin and yeah like his whole job was just move the blender around the field but um she was mostly very quiet until the party was about to do something just so stupid i was was gonna say evil or stupid or both often both but she was actually a vengeance paladin so Um. she was not necessarily about the law but um whenever they were about to do something just chaotic stupid she would just get (laughs) so disappointed in them and just be like just face palming the entire time while also having to then keep them alive because they did something stupid. And 
she would just get more and more disappointed and just exasperated with them. And it ended up becoming this whole thing that she was just constantly disappointed. And she was also a dragon folk. So she was just the disappointed lizard all the time. They could not stop doing stupid things. I like that. That's good. I think there always needs to be a moral compass. You know, even if it's just being disappointed, that means a lot to some people. She's not mad. She's just disappointed. <laughs> Which is so much worse. It, it really is. Um, now, I, I kind of want to put a kind of a pivotal question in your guys' heads, and we'll, we'll circle back to it. I'm going to give you guys time to think about it. But I want you guys to think about, like, what the biggest difficulty in DMing has been for you, whether it be, like, a current theme that you're just trying to deal with that you have a hard time with. Or if it was a specific situation in a specific campaign that you're like, I'm stumped. What do I do? Um, but before we get to that, I just want you to think about it. Um, a much easier question is I want you guys to think about what is the funniest thing that has happened in D&D for you guys, whether it be you being a DM or it be you as a player. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll start. And I, I have to figure out a way to censor this because, um, quite frankly, there's a lot of graphic things that happen during this during this time and it's it's <laughs> there there's been so many moments i actually have a few that i'll list off but the first one that happened is um actually it involves richard's character tunican and i was <laughs> i was playing eshbone i had nothing to do with this i was just a um observer in this but we had another player um chris actually he's he was on our episode for music and he was playing an old grandma um who was very sexually active and and then we had Richard, who was Tunican with his... Um, very serious. <clears throat> very serious, despite his member, which was kind of comical. And we had just gotten out of a cave, gotten out of, of a fight, and we were in this decimated town. Um, we like came out of this hole. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm on. I'm on board. Go ahead. And so we were on edge, right? We just narrowly escaped this this cave. Bad shit was going on. There was an evil plant that was trying to <laughs> suck our juices. Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, the, yeah, and Jackie was the DM for this. Yeah, and this was unfortunately something I had to find an answer to. Yeah, I, I'm sure this was a difficult situation for Jackie. But um, what what basically one of the last survivors of this town was a, a l- massive, absolutely massive um, older lady who was she was a lunch lady. She was actually um, what we come to find out a very um, she was a paragon in that town. She she helped feed all the children. She was a really nice lady. Um, but she approached us and she was defensive as one would be if their town was just decimated. She's on the edge. And I, I believe it was me who started like accosting her being like, what happened to this town? You fucking evil woman. And uh, she hits me with a spatula, you know, cause she's a lunch lady. That's her weapon of choice. She has a spatula or some shit like that. And we're like, Oh hell no, dude. Without that set us the fuck off. We were like, that's, that's unacceptable. So we end up getting in a fight with this lady, and we're beating the shit out of this lady. And then she she's getting weakened. Richard's Richard's face bombing right now. She's getting weakened. We we knock her down onto her back, and uh, Chris's character, the old lady, takes tuna cans. Uh, I'll tuna say, can. I'll take yeah. Takes tuna cans, tuna can, and chokes the lunch lady with it. <laughs> like like just. <laughs> Just freaking, and I'm sorry, but Jackie's face was like, she was laughing, but she's like, what the fuck? And I 
was crying laughing. I was like doubled over. I couldn't breathe. I was like on the floor. It's one of those situations, obviously, you would have had to have been there. Um, but it, it was so fucking funny. It was so awful. Like, I had no say in that. No. Yeah. It's, it's a turn-based system. Oh, yeah. And that to me was just so funny. And I, I have a few others. And they, they both come from... Um, one character, uh, Neil, who was in our um, our Dark Souls episode, um, he so he played he rolled a goat, and I think you would have gotten along, Jackie, with uh, Neil really well because so in the campaign prior, he got turned into a goat, and he's like, "Wait a second, this is awesome! I love being polymorphed into a goat." And so next campaign, he actually decided to be a goat person, so he's like a bipedal goat, and um, he has such amazing comedic timing. I, I love Neil for that. There's two instances that come straight to mind. One, um, there was a little girl who was terrified. And we just broke into her house. And um, Neil decided to strip of his clothes. He's he's just a furry goat, so nothing weird there. Strip of his clothes and get on all fours like a goat. And he was, like, nuzzling the little girl, like, trying to make her feel better. And then he goes... <laughs> He's like, all right, I would like my eyes to go. You know how, like, goats' eyes are vertical? <laughs> He's like, or they're horizontal. He's like, I want my eyes to go vertical. I'm going to bite her throat out. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> he was just being so nice to this little girl. And, oh, my God, that was another circumstance where I was just, like, dying laughing. And he was just joking. Like He's like, all right, I'm actually not going to do that. And then later on in the campaign, um, one of our players turned evil, and he became a bad guy. And he had a, he had a talk with him one-on-one talk and he's like you know what okay i think we've come to an agreement and then as the evil character begins to walk away (laughs) neil at this time had a wish spell um and so he's like i wish he was dead (laughs) so it's like they just had this long heartfelt talk and he's like no fuck him he'd kill him and it's just oh man just moments like this even though we had an observer he wasn't even in the, in the campaign. He was just there to listen. And he was dying laughing. I was dying laughing. And, he's, and, of course, Neil's always like, I'm just playing. But it comes out of left field, and he's so good at just being, like, switching sides so fast to becoming, like, a mega asshole. And then he's like, oh, I'm just playing. And that, to me, is always hits my funny bone. I love it. Um, anyways, how about you guys? What's what's something that just really – you're like, man, this is why I play D&D. This shit is fucking hilarious. Uh, do you mind if I take this? Oh, go for it. Okay. So uh, it was in my most recent campaign that I was running, and I want to say it was one of my biggest ones as far as players. Um, And they were transported to the Fey Realm. Um, And there's two parts in this. Uh, So the first one is they go to this carnival, and (laughs) Corey's shaking his head right now. (laughs) So uh, they're, they're kind of exploring, figuring things out. You know, they're a little on edge because they have traveled for a while now, and they were suddenly transported to the Fey Realm, which is a confusing place. I will say that paranoia is a son of a bitch in D&D. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're in this uh, carnival, and it, it's a normal carnival. Like, all these people are having fun. They're doing their thing. They're enjoying themselves, but they're all on edge. And this, uh, oh, I cannot remember what I made her. A Kenku. Was that it? The one that loved you? Or... No, that it was just like a fairy lady. Oh, Kinku that's right. Was the bastard? That's right. That's right. Fairy lady down. So it was this fairy lady, and uh, she saw Corey's character, who was a Aracocra. Aracocra. Thank you. Um, and like, just fell madly in love with him, and it made Corey so uncomfortable that, like, it wasn't meant to be that, but it made him so uncomfortable that I had to keep playing into it. 
And so the whole time, like they're in, they're in the uh, big tent watching this show and she like goes over to Corey and she's like, what's up big boy. And I, I, yeah, I like denied her advances. I was like, uh, we're busy right now. I'm sorry. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. And, um, turns out she's powerful. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, long, <laughs> yes. Long story short, uh, Corey really didn't have a choice, um, which was, you know, me being a bastard DM, 100%. And he's like, yes, I love you. Right. Well, I, she, she was like, it was, it seemed like it was alluding to if I didn't reciprocate my love, something very bad was going to happen to my character. So it's like, oh, shit. And uh, yeah. And by the way, my character was like very much like, like asexual, like, like any type of sexual advance made him extremely uncomfortable. And so to have this lady like fawning over me was making him really nervous and scared. And then to know that like the wrath of God was going to come down upon me if I wasn't nice to her really put me in an awkward situation. <laughs> um, it turns out the whole thing was fucking fake, by the way. Yeah. This whole carnival <laughs> was like an illusion. She wasn't even real. Like, yeah, yeah that, that was like a double fuck you to me. Like, everything just melts away. And it's like, wait, what about the what about that lady? Oh, yeah, she wasn't really there. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> fuck you. Um, so and then another part that part. So, OK, saying it wasn't real was the wrong way to put it. It was real, but it was fake magic. Fuck fey magic. Dude. <laughs> but anyways, so <laughs> the worst kind of magic. <laughs> this was one of the first times I ever had a player actually die in a campaign on me. <laughs> Immediately too. And it was pure unadulterated. Like you probably shouldn't do that, but if that's what you want to do, I, yeah. I gave the are you sure? Yeah, and that this was my fault too. I man, I am just a fucking catalyst and for bad things happening. I so feel. they were looking for a child in this uh it's like a mirror maze. Um and the one of the mirrors uh, the child ran through. And so the player was like, oh, well, I'm going to go in the mirror after him. And I'm like, are you sure? And that player was like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go get the kid. Are you sure? Dead. <laughs> and he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, you run into the mirror and you die. And he's like, what? I'm like, you just ran into hell. Like, Oh, that was hell? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, so how Richard advertised it is there was basically the, the little girl was scared of <clears throat> me, and she ran <laughs> She ran into the mirror maze, and she saw a figure, I believe it was her father, wearing, like, a mask, like some spooky, weird, like, fucking rabbit mask or something, mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, dad. She goes into it, and then when uh, the player sees it, now she's also in the mirror next to the guy with the mask on. And at that point, I was like, okay, that's fucking mega bad news. Like, this this little girl is now a fucking soulless husk of a demon or some shit. And, yeah, he's just like – and he was like a scorpion at the time, by the way. He was like polymorphed. So mm -hmm. – or maybe I was. Oh, no, yeah. No, it, I, I polymorphed him to a scorpion, yeah. so he had like blind sight. And I'm like, this is going to help you find the little girl. And it did. <laughs> he found her. Um, and – so that that was the second one, and then the uh, third one was actually not in this campaign. It was in Jackie's, and it was such a foolish set of characters that I couldn't help but love them. So, Jackie, what was the name of the underwater place we went? Do you remember? Just like the city, yeah, in the underwater place, yeah, yeah, the one with all of the rundown buildings. Bro, that's Fish Compton. And Fish Compton. Yeah, I was Thank gonna you. say it's okay. Fish Compton. Okay, so. In there, uh, we stumbled across Fish J and Silent Bob. <laughs> That's so fucking 
<laughs> outside of a uh, fish convenience store. I almost feel like I fucking repressed this. This shit's so funny. <laughs> and they were trying to sell us seaweed. <laughs> and it was so great. And I, I just, I loved it so much. Everything about it, the way the picture was painted. And... What ended up happening with Fish J and Fish Silent Bob is that we miniaturized them and took them with us. Yeah, that's right. I forgot we had like pocket-sized Fish J and Silent Bob. Yeah, we had a we had the pocket dimension, and that's where they went. Um, that was also the same time. Another good point in that one is when Sage almost killed us all. Yes, um, Sage was notorious for that. So he's one of the players that we've had, and he doesn't give a fuck what happens to anybody. And also, Sage Sage is a very interesting player because he is not afraid of doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. And he takes it to an extreme. Um, all I'm going to say is got any kids, <laughs> right? Oh my God. Yeah, he so. pushes it straight to 11. And then when you're like, Sage, did you just say that? He like pushes it straight to 15 instead of agreeing. He just takes that as a challenge and pushes it further. Yeah. Um, he is someone you do not want to aggravate in the, in the game because he will, I mean, even if he's not aggravated, he'll he's the motherfucker that will cast fireball in a small room with everybody in it. I didn't ask how big the room was. I said I cast fireball. Yeah, and that's what he did, and that's how he almost killed us. No, no, it, was no it was lightning, lightning ball. strike. Yeah, lightning strike. This Underwater. was actually going to be one of the things I was going to oh, bring I'm sorry, up in please. mind. No, 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 no. I just think it's so funny that both of us thought of the same moment in what makes us love this game. Yeah. Um, honestly, the comedy. It's... Oh yeah, that's that's what keeps bringing players back, I think. And you know what? Uh, next campaign I run, I I have to get Fish Compton in there somehow. I already have dude. Fish I, Compton's so good. I'll, I don't think it's gonna work in my campaign uh, that I have planned, but man, I want it. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are my favorite moments, Jackie. So, the overarching idea that I was going to get to was the comedy, but it was also like the uh, the inside jokes that come from it that can get brought up every session or they can get brought up like 10 sessions down and most everyone forgot about it and it's just so extra funny and it's one of the things that we did to really improve that like like improve on that was we would if something made us laugh really just super hard we would write it down oh yeah and then we would just have a like sheet of paper for each session that had the most notable hilarious statements on it and we would like every few sessions go back and read them all and we would just all die laughing and we would just cackle. And by the end of every single campaign, there were so many things we didn't even remember anymore, but we just remembered being super funny that we had to laugh anyway. And I think that's one of my favorite things is sometimes I'll find my old D&D notes and I'll see them in there and they're just really funny to still go back to. And uh, you're like, it, what the hell's wrong with these people? Yeah, as I'm the one writing them down. <laughs> But um, and back to what Richard was going to say about the player Sage being a menace to society. Um, he they were all outside of Fish Compton. The power had gone out in Fish Compton, and they were sent out <laughs> on, on a mission to <laughs> to go restore power or go try to go uh, investigate the power plant and see what the problem was. And they were on their way to solve this quest, like you do in Dungeons and & Dragons. And they found a giant... Was it a squid? Or it was a cephalopod of sorts. It was a turtle. No, no, that it wasn't the zombie turtle. It, oh. Wait, was it? Oh, it, did it catch you in seaweed? 
No, we caught her. We caught ourselves in seaweed. Someone cast like overgrowth on it or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, someone. I'm pretty sure wasn't no, that it you, was my Richard? bard. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, that's right. And you caught yourself uh, in all of the kelp and seaweed, and then yeah, you were under attack, and you guys couldn't do anything. And you're like, well, we need to cast a spell maybe, and Sage is like, I cast thunderbolt. <laughs> Underwater. Underwater. <laughs> or was it chain lightning? Maybe it was chain lightning. Nothing or... good. No, it was lightning strike for sure. Because oh, he was able strike. to do it more than once. Right, yeah. And he did do it more than once. Um, <laughs> and I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. And I wasn't going to ask a second time because this was just great. And uh, then everyone else was like, Sage, no, what are you doing? And he, I actually think he didn't realize it right off. He went, oh, shit. And then he went, because that was one of his uh, most popular phrases. And uh, then he went, yeah, I'm sure. Let's do it. <laughs> and they, the lightning strikes down to the bottom of the ocean and just almost kills everybody. I Did I have it do four times damage? I, I don't remember, but I remember just, that it almost TPK'd the party. Yeah, it was a stupid amount just because it, it was a stupid choice. And... It didn't kill everyone, and Sage said, I cast it again. <laughs> he was trying for it. Yeah, and uh, he was really trying to TPK everyone. And then and then they actually, yeah, and then you killed the sea turtle, and then you enlarged it and turned it into a kaiju. That's right. Yeah, and it was like our mobile base. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and, and I want to point this out, that... Uh, Whereas Corey is an unintentional menace in D&D, Sage is an absolute menace, but I love Sage to death when we play D&D. He pushes every possible envelope there is. Like, Yeah, and you know what? He can get away with it. Certain people have that personality where they, they can do it, and it's like, okay, this is fun. Other people, if they do that, it, it, you know, it comes across as annoying. Yeah. Sage can do whatever the fuck he wants, and it's generally well recepted, even if we die. And it's pretty much usually just pure comedy gold. Whatever comes of it, it's just always great. We love you, Sage. That, that's what we were getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. I'm going to take the microphone for a second. I want to I want to ask you guys, like I said, what's what's one of the most difficult things you guys have experienced as a DM in D&D? Um, for me, um, I would say in general, it would be how you handle nat 20s not in combat but just like you know someone's trying to sneak and they roll a nat 20 sometimes it can be so underwhelming for people to just like oh my god you you really want to play into that like they just fucking they just crit like you need to make this good um and i think one of my most popular 20 rolls that my players have had was recently in my last campaign um one of the players had sold their unintentionally sold their soul to an arch lich that would later become Eshbone. Um, and it was a bad situation. Basically they, it derailed their campaign to where like, okay, now they're, we're going to have to get their soul back or they're going to die. Um, and they ran into this arch lich and he was in the middle of the forest in a, in a clearing. And they're like, what's this guy doing here? And he's like, Oh, what's up idiots? Like I'm here to task you with, um, you know what I want <laughs> you to do or else I'm going to kill your buddy too fucking bad. And one of the players, um, he was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to sneak. And he rolled like a really good sneak with pass without trace, which, which gives him bonus to stealth. And then he gets right up to the arch lich without him seeing. 
and he rolls a nat 20 to pickpocket him. And now at this point, I hadn't planned on the Archlich having anything with him. Um, and so I was like, what the fuck? What am I supposed to do? I don't, he just did like something very difficult that if he failed, he was going to probably end up dying. So it's like, what do you do in that situation where it's just like the player's putting their neck on the line? You don't just want him to be like, oh, you stole one of his fucking rib bones. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> and so I I think one of the, the coolest things that had happened in that campaign is he actually pickpocketed three vials that had souls in them. And it was a cool way for me to also expand the lore of the Archlich that played into like his phylactery and all that. But basically, turns out that the Archlich was a painter. He's like Bal Ross, the Archlich. And uh, he used people's souls to paint. And so basically what the player had done is steal his um, paint, which were souls. And coincidentally, in one of those vials was the player's soul. And so it was like a cool way that they successfully did something cool and basically alleviated that whole issue that they're having. And in an okay way, right? Because you don't want to make it too strong. You don't want to steal the Archlish staff. And now you're just like have this crazy shit weapon. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I find that to be really difficult. Um, obviously, I, th- I think an easy one to point out is just when players do something so out of left field, it's it's left you speechless. Fortunately, I don't feel like I have that problem when I DM. If someone does something crazy, I typically can pretty quickly find a response. But um, that that's one for me that really like always puts me on my toes is because you you can never you almost have to think about what if they roll a, a nat twenty or you, a one. You have to be cool a nat one exactly. And so it's like okay, if they pass or fail, sure this happens. But then what if they pass really well? What if they shit the bed? You know, what if that player was trying to pickpocket and he rolled a nat one? Like, then he's going to die, yeah. probably. And so it's it's really interesting to have those on the fly. Because like you said, as a DM, you don't want to wait 20 minutes. You don't want to be like, all right, you know what? Let's take a break while I, can, while I think about this. Nobody wants that. Um, so just on that cusp of just knowing what to do at all times can be kind of uh, daunting. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, how about you guys? So, um, easily the hardest thing that I have ever had to do as a DM is kick a player out of the group. Wow. And sorry, I just like lunged over to the microphone. <laughs> that is a really good point. I have never had to do that, but that would be very difficult it for was, me. It was uh, very unfortunate. What happened? So we had a player in our original D&D, one of the first groups that I DM'd. Um, Jackie was in that group. And, uh... He was making people uncomfortable. He did some things that people didn't like. Um, and I had three or four of the party members come to me and say, hey, this guy's not working out. Is there something you can do about it? Can you talk to him? You know. So I did, and he continued. Um, and it basically came down to like everybody in the group, aside from him, was like, he's got to go or we're going to go. And so I had to have that, like, sit down, talk with him. Well, not sit down, but I called him up. I was like, hey, man, you know, I'm really sorry to say this, but I can't have you in the group anymore. You're making people really uncomfortable. Which was hard in its own right, but then he got borderline emotional about it. And it's like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I feel so bad about this. But, you know, it's the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah, and... I, you're, that was way more heavy than anything I had to, any, <laughs> anything I had to say. But that is a good point, and... I think it's really important as just being respectful of everybody um, to read the room. Again, this this is a perfect example of that player versus Sage. Sage did a lot of things that pushed the envelope that a lot of people 
probably would be like, um, they're uncomfortable with it, but it's all about reading the room. Everybody was okay with what he was doing. And if they, they did have an issue, they'd probably say something and they would stop. Um, it's, it's really important to, um, yeah, know your audience, know your audience and, um, make sure you're not pushing the envelope in a way that makes people uncomfortable. Sage, Sage was really good at, I, I, I would really, really enjoy though. Um, if he's listening to this, he's probably going to hate me even more, but share the nickname that the party came up for him. For Sage? It's... No, no, not Sage. For the guy I had to kick out. Oh. Uh, they came up uh, with the nickname Bearpaw. God, who? I, I wasn't in the campaign. No, so. no, this yeah. was before you. Um, and Bearpaw is so hilarious in its own right. But the general, the, the thing that, the, like, the straw that broke the camel's back, the thing that got him kicked out that everybody came to me and, like, we can't do this anymore, was somebody had brought homemade cookies. And uh, somebody had caught this gentleman sticking his hands down his pants, like under the boxers to itch himself and then reach up and grab a cookie. And that was like the end. Jackie's covering her face right now. Yeah, it's because, well, one, not great at all. But two, because the cookies had been brought in a Ziploc bag. So they were all in a very plastic confined environment and all touching each other so it was almost impossible to just reach in there and touch one cookie and it we all just kind of shared a collective look with each other and then just (laughs) i don't remember who brought the cookies but they at the end like later on were like why didn't anyone eat the cookies see it's 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 funny that you guys mentioned that because I'm the I'm the type of person if I'm comfortable with everyone I'll I'll call them out like a motherfucker I'll be like did you just stick your fucking hand down your fucking pants and touch those cookies like do not like bro nobody's gonna you those cookies are yours now dog like fuck you um so I'm glad I wasn't in that campaign I that would because well, I get really uncomfortable when it's like when I see other people are, un- are uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable. And so then I'd I'd probably be like, yeah, let's go. Well, and to make and <laughs> well, to make matters age. worse, as far as like how I felt about it, was that this was my first time DMing, so I was so unsure of myself as a DM. Right, you're like, and is then, this normal? It, yeah, are we supposed to be touching ourselves when we're, when we're playing Dungeons and Dragons? Not quite like that, but oh, um, but like you I are, mean, by the way. <laughs> but I mean, kick, kicking people out, like you know, that's that's like a DM's worst fear in my mind. And to have to do that in the first time you DM, it's like, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm gonna be the biggest piece of shit right now. Well, right, and you're you're, I mean, you're kind of like the boss in that sense, where it's like that's up to you to handle it, not not the players. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's your campaign, so. Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so for me, with uh, my DMing style of just being off the cuff all the time is that it makes it hard to find a balance between letting the players go where they want and do what they want and tell the story that they want, while also trying to keep some sort of, like, cohesive experience. And with possibly, like, end goals. Like, where are they going? And so I had to come up with a way to have a moving final boss that as long as they did these certain steps in that could be done all over the place then they would get there but even then it was still very hard to like keep a cohesive experience and still provide quests while they are also being absolute dickbags being absolute dickbags mm-hmm. 
and which is it, it was hilarious it's always hilarious but it's still hard to have any kind of cohesion with that and for me that is one of the hardest parts because having a whole story to tell such as like a you know pre-made campaign you know source material all of those things it helps keep a sense of where you are where you're going next where you're going next and that is one thing that I have a much harder time having in my games because it's always off the cuff. And by the time it just gets so hilarious and so over the top, everyone's completely lost, but they're happy being lost. But it's just session after session of happy being lost. And it was, and it's not so much that I'm upset about that. It's their game and I'm helping them play it. And them having fun means I'm having fun. That's all I want for them. So it's not like I'm upset about that. It, but it does make it hard when people or players want a more cohesive experience or say maybe one or two of the players wanted a cohesive experience and then like the other four don't care. And so it just ends up in chaos, which most of the people are cool with, but then are they all or, and it kind of can be hard to find a place between those two extremes and I sometimes was able to, and sometimes I was just not able to, especially if the total derailment of the derail was super funny. It was just super easy to keep going with it. And so I think that's one of my most difficult situations. So you brought up a really good point there, Jackie, that I think that every DM suffers with, and that's the player or players that derail um more than they should so you know um and everybody's guilty of this as a player from time to time but you're running your campaign you know everybody's having a good time and this one player this one person really wants to go and check out this random house and everybody else is like well you know we're trying to do something but they really want to do it and it kind of kills it for everybody else and as a dm you have to navigate that that really tight rope walk of do I say, okay, let's explore the house? Do I put roadblocks in to make it a quick or longer experience? How do I measure this so that everybody has fun and not just one or two players? Oh, oh, oh here we are. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, I think like you said, everybody experiences that. And um, me DMing and being off the wall, just like Jackie, is not only is it hard to pay attention to players not derailing everything, but also to kind of know where you are in the campaign, you know, okay, we're, we're early in the campaign. We're 15 sessions in, what are we doing? You know? And I think I've gotten a little bit better at that with my last few campaigns where like you need to have an overarching goal that is continually worked on. And how I've kind of circumvented that is I give like a rough timeline where I'm like, okay, you guys probably have like six more sessions. Like you guys really need to figure it out or else shit's going to hit the fan. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the campaign's going to end. It just means it's going to get ramped up to the next chapter of, of pain. Um, Richard kind of had a quick smile. So, um, well, I just, I thought of something really cool here. We're, we're talking about being DMs and the differences and mm -hmm. similarities. Yeah. And how different you and Jackie handled that same problem. Jackie made a moving arch enemy, a constantly on the go. And mm -hmm. so as the players were constantly on the go and, fucking off um she could move him wherever needed yeah and you uh it's such a different way but it still works as well where you did 
hey guys, you know, like you said, you have six days, so yeah. you can keep fucking off, but it's going to get bad. Yeah, something bad's going to happen. And they, they, it's cool because they incorporated that in a way where they could visibly see it. So to better explain is basically um, it was very cut and dry that the last area they were going to go to is in the middle of the map. Uh, it was an old castle that was taken over by a bunch of demons. And when I started to say, okay, shit's, shit's hitting the fan, uh, a Tarrasque had erupted from the center of this like taken over city and um for those of you who don't know a tarasque is a massive almost unkillable creature and so it came out and was just roaming the countryside decimating the landscape and there was there was a few areas they never got to go to because the tarasque had destroyed it so that was kind of like the way of like okay you guys need to deal with this threat and the only way to deal with that is getting geared up to go fight in the center of the map. God, I am so glad that we won that campaign and the bad guy died. Yeah, that's what <laughs> happened. Um, that, my last campaign was the first campaign where um, it was a TP, TPK, total party kill. Oh, um, who, who it caught, was your first. Yeah, who, who caused that to happen? Who, who shit the bed there, Richard? Dude, I, can't, I, I can't remember. It was definitely someone. Definitely someone. Yeah. Is he... Is he in the room with us right now? He might be. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I feel like now is good time as ever to um, explain what had happened. Um, oh, you have something to say, Richard? Hmm? Uh, yeah, I was going to explain. I'm what belittling happened. you now. I'm, <laughs> I'm already upset. So to clarify, this campaign was part two of a two-year-long campaign. So the the first part of the campaign it ended on a crazy cliffhanger. Shit went down. They were playing the second campaign. They were going to fight the big bad. They had, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they had um, snuck into they so they befriended Strahd, kind of. They made a deal with him, and he snuck them in through barrels of viscera. And these barrels um, were basically, you know, the food for the demons. And so that was how they're in is getting those barrels to like the demon chef. And also, by the way, I feel so bad because one of my players had died three times, and this was. <laughs> And this was he made a new character. I, I had I had put him on um, like a like a temporary ban from the campaign um, for tardiness, which again I'm I'm still like learning. That probably wasn't the best idea. I felt really bad for that. But basically, um, he finally made a new character, and this was the first session. And spoiler alerts, he died, and he didn't get to do anything. So, anyways, we they get in this barrel, multiple barrels full of viscera. One of them turned out was a mimic and that player got the mimic. So he was, it was you're, you're in the situation where it's like, do I, get... oh, Jackie sign? It gets so much worse. Oh yeah. So basically what do you do? You're in a city full of demons getting transported to like the bowels of this castle. It's like, do you just, do you fight the barrel mimic that's trying to eat you? And then obviously it raises alert to the demons and you, that's a whole can of worms you have to deal with. Or do you just grin and bear it and get chewed on by this fucking mimic and hope you don't die? Well, Zeb, fortunately, didn't die they got to the kitchen the castle kitchen um oh god molly deus that so there's an enemy in molly there's an enemy in DD called molly deus um one important thing to know about a molly deus is it has a demonic weapon um if they roll a d if they roll a nat 20 with that demonic weapon they have three attacks if they roll a nat 20 with that specific attack it immediately decapitates the target um <laughs> so I, i'm sure you guys can can see where this is heading 
Um, so anyways, where they get It's to... not really heading. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you guys can see where this is beheading. Um, and so they get into the kitchen and um, there's a Molly Davis who's the cook. He's kind of just indifferent. And then there is the big bad evil guy. Turns out... So the big bad evil guy was an, an archdemon and he was bound to one of the old players. He was an NPC at this point. Um, and so basically he's the bound player is like, you know what? I'm going to help these guys. Cause the big bad evil guy, this arch team is going to betray me. So he's like, I'm actually your contact. I'm the one who is helping you. And so it's kind of like a, like a twist. Nobody expected it. Right. So they're like, Holy shit. So at this point, it's really important to know that I did not know what Richard was going to do. He was playing a paladin at this point. It's really important to know that if I could sink my head into my shoulders more, I would. <laughs> yeah. So, um, when I was kind of talking to another player outside of the D and D chat, um, Richard had told the rest of the players, like when we get in there, I'm going to cast, um, forbiddance. Um, I did not hear this or else I would have been like, no, do not do that. So anyways, at this point, um, the, the big bad evil guys host, the guy that was going to help them is like, all right. Yeah. He's kind of being an asshole to him, but he's like, all right, I'm going to help you guys. Let's, let's get this ball rolling. And then Richard's like, I cast forbiddance. And the whole time he's like, I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm like, okay, cool. Because it's a channel spell, so it takes a while. Yeah, so it's like, cool, you're praying. Like, big deal. <laughs> and so then he's like, all right, I've channeled it. I'm casting forbiddance. And so forbiddance is, um, it's an acre. It, the size is an acre. And anything evil within it um, starts taking radiant damage. And there's a whole lot of evil in that castle. And it goes up like a floor. Yeah. So they're in the, they're in the, um, basically like a cellar but it goes up the floor and so this hits number one their contact the guy who's trying to help him hits him hits the molly deus and hits basically like 85 other fucking demons and um <laughs> immediately like there, so much could have gotten done if you like anyways. the look they're <laughs> both giving me right now so anyways uh the whole castle just goes into fucking defcon 62 um the contact who was going to help them is like you know what fuck these guys and immediately contacts the archdemon and so the ar- combat starts the, the player who just made a new character um is like all right i'm gonna punch this chef in the ass and so he like beats him up a couple times to- uh, for a couple of like attacks he's a monk and um then the molly deus goes and just fucking cuts his head off rolls a nat, nat 20, 20 yeah. rolls a nat 20 just fucking kills him that player was so fucking pissed. He was so mad. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. It's a net 20, bro. Like, it is what it is. Uh, so that was awful and in its own right. And then, so yeah, the actual big bad evil guy, which, by the way, the whole plan of them being in the castle is to weaken him. They had several different methods to weaken him so he was able to be killed. At this point, he's so fucking strong. He is so strong. And so basically, boom, combat starts. That character gets decapitated, and then, you know, like, four other Molly Davis show up. Um, and then the big bad evil guy, Vile Gash, um, shows up, puts a veil of darkness covering the whole room. Nobody can see anything. And um, then he proceeds to target every single person uh, with three D100s <laughs> and just fucking nukes them. Um, and, th- and then Richard actually lived. Um, I did. I forgot he he rolled like a nat one or some shit to hit you yeah and so he missed well i know my armor was super high yeah and so richard actually lived for another turn and then he was like trying to res everybody and 
but the problem with Forbidden's is you can't teleport in or out of it either. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had like a bunch of allies that they could have summoned. Like they were they were on call. They were ready to like come fuck shit up. But Forbidden stopped them from assisting. And so it was just like the perfect storm of like the worst fucking possible thing you could have done in that situation. <laughs> and then so Richard lives another turn. Boom. He raises one person. Another round of three D100s. Because that was the point. He was supposed to be absolutely unbeatable. At this no, point. no, no. I get that. And yeah. uh, everybody died, and everybody was very sad, and that was two years down the fucking drain. <laughs> Dude. That was peak. Wor- that was, hands down, the worst decision I've ever seen anyone do in D&D, <laughs> and I'm so impressed. I am. I still I, love you, though. I, I'm glad I could Leroy Jenkins that. It, it, it really was a Leroy Jenkins moment. Um, that I, I got chicken. I'm not going to try to defend myself. What I did was really stupid there. I had an idea, and it was bad. Um. <laughs> I just, there's really nothing else I can say about it. I'm going to change up what I wanted to say. Okay, I wasn't a DM, but that was not the worst I felt in D&D. The worst I, I felt in D&D is when I TPK'd the party. Yeah, and also, I don't even <laughs> remember how we got on this topic. I just went down the rabbit hole with with that. As D&D ha- does. Yeah. Anyways, sorry for derailing that and going into that situation. But Okay, so I have I have one last thing that I think will be fun. Um, we're We're just about out of time. But I'm going to set up a scenario for each one of you and then give you the good old question. How would you like to do this? And I want your description on how you're going to take out this creature, this whatever it may be. Okay, first and foremost, what, what, like, are we players? Yeah. What, what's our class? Well, I'm going to tell what's you. Our level? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell okay, you. Okay, okay. What are we fighting? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> oh, you're setting up how you wipe these guys, huh? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. No, let us okay. know. Let us know. It's okay. All right. So, Corey. We're going to give you something that you're familiar with. We're going to say that you're Eshbone. Why? Uh, Eshbone's like my worst character. And I, we're going to say yes. you're... Oh, we'll give you a good a good send-off here. We'll say you're Arch Lich level 20 Eshbone. Okay, that's tight. Cool. Okay. And you just happen to somehow stumble across the, the, the answer to take Vilegash out and take over all of Aldane. Tight. Uh, Valgash is down on his knees. He mm-hmm. he's he's succumbing to his wounds. He's begging you for forgiveness. How would you like to do this? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's. I feel like this is a loaded question. I don't know why. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I mean, that's Eshbone's a simple creature. He would he would honestly probably try to find a way to either bind him, because um, at that point Eshbone was like he had one extra brain cell. Um, so he'd probably try to find a way to take Vilegash's power. He wouldn't try to kill him. He's like, I want to be more. That's all Eshbone cares about is um, property <laughs> and power, the the two Ps. And um, so, yeah, he would probably just try to, like, bind him to Eshbone's bones or something. Like, I'm going to take your power. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, no. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so. so, yeah. And then at that point, I'm, obviously, you know, I'm, you wouldn't play an Archlich level 20 in D&D, but... Um, that's what he would do is he would like try to enslave Altane and huh? anyone who wanted to visit Altane for trade, he would tax the shit. out of them. <laughs> uh, everybody would probably die and he would make them zombies that worked for him and still charge him rent. Oh yeah, of course. And you know, he, all are welcome, but they have to pay copious amounts of gold to just to visit. Even though it's basically like fucking Mordor at this point. It's like, <laughs> nobody wants to visit. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would do. But I don't, that's weird that you gave me Eshbone. D&D's weird sometimes. All right, sure. Jackie? 
All right, Jackie. All right, I'm ready. We're going to make yours a little less goofy uh, than Eshbone. So you're pretty familiar with a paladin. So we will say, we'll give you the same benefit of the doubt. We'll say you're a level 20 paladin, right? You have your goat, right? Um, and you have just broken into Strahd's castle and are were able to face down his, you know, handfuls of vampire spawn. And then Strahd shows up. Um, you're a little weak. You're a little beat up. How would you handle this? Real quick before Jackie answers, if I recall you guys talking about this, didn't Jackie almost fucking one shot Strahd? Corey, I'm sorry. Anyways, wow, my voice sure got deep for a second there. <laughs> I, uh, sorry. I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to steal that. I apologize. Um, but yeah, so it's just you and Strahd now, <laughs> and not Corey. How would you like to one shot Strahd? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in my paladin's defense, I had plenty of smite and i had also gotten the sun sword thing that yes, was did. designed to kill strahd with the power of the sun and so i'm i may have been a vengeance paladin but i was a vengeance paladin and so i was on the back of my goat in a ballroom or was it the basement uh, no it was it was a ballroom so i was on the back of my goat in a ballroom and I just charged Strahd in the middle of the ballroom, surrounded by some more of his uh, spawn. And just, I don't even, I don't remember what I did. Well, then again, you're asking what I would do. So um, my character would, she would run just directly towards Strahd. Well, her goat would. She would sit there and he would transport the blender of the sun straight towards Strahd and she would pull the two-handed sword above her head and then kind of hold it down and like slice down sideways and take off his head and that's kind of boring but she was kind of a very um to the point matter of fact matter of fact which is hence the goat to be silly and then the goat would probably just headbutt his body and then get it caught on his <laughs> horn and then she would have to unsummon the goat to get the horn out of Strahd <laughs> Fantastic. I, I realize now that uh, that's exactly what was going to happen. Is I, I spoiled it a little bit by saying, like, didn't you almost just fucking kill Strahd in one turn? I My bad for stealing that thunder. It just popped <laughs> into my head, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. So I'm sorry, Jackie. But uh, apparently... Uh, the the initial the run, in. it was a mace, and it was Divine Smite that almost killed him one shot. And then it was the sword that actually killed him. But Oh, so, yeah. Real, real quick. <laughs> Real quick, Richard. Um, yes, you you mentioned UTPK'd uh, party. What I happened? sure did. Uh, well, we've already discussed it. Did what? Where? When? Where? Why? Oh no! I thought you as a DM did it. Oh, I was talking about your campaign. Have I ever TPK'd oh. a party? Well, you well, you I were like, TPK'd oh, your first party. time, like like you had done it. I have TPK'd a party. Um, trying to think of what campaign it was. So I've run six total campaigns. I want to say, I think it was the first or second. It was before Joey. So it was the first Strahd run. Before Joey. Oh, Joey. Joey. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other thing. Um, It was the first Strahd run. And uh, it was one of those uh, luck of the card draws where I had 
the party was traveling across Barovia doing their thing, trying to find these pieces, and Strahd shows up everywhere. Um, he just kind of pops in, toys with the party, and leaves, but they wouldn't accept that. They they wouldn't accept that. They're like Strahd's like, oh, look at you, my little puppety things. That's how Strahd sounds. <laughs> um, and they're like, no, we're not puppets. We're going to fuck you up, yo. And he was like, what? Like, really? Guys? I like how Barovia is basically Compton, too. <laughs> yeah, it's just gray Compton, not blue or beige Compton. Um, so, basically, they, they egged and egged and egged Strahd on to the point to where I my hands were tied. <laughs> like, he was trying to mess with them, and they were absolutely aggro. Yeah, like, like no, don't, don't fuck with us. Let's fight right now, idiot. <laughs> if you got any balls on, you left, dude, on that withered vampire body. You'd fight us right now. Yeah. Something um, like that. Yeah, and, so, you know, long story short, it was like, I mean, it was actually like five turns because he doesn't have a lot of AOE spells except for the one that kills him. Potentially. You used that on us once. Uh, maybe. You bastard. Wow, spoiler alert for everyone who hasn't done Strahd. Yeah, it's really shameful. Hey, guys, spoiler alert for 20 seconds ago. <laughs> um, oh, I got so much fucking beef with you now that you just brought that up. Continue your story, you bastard. Well, no, I mean, that was basically it. I was very new to DMing, and I, I was probably a little spiteful that they wouldn't just let it go. And so I definitely, that was one of those like poor DMing moments where it's like, you know what? Fuck you then. Yeah, Strahd actually doesn't care, but the DM is like, <laughs> I care now, motherfucker. Um, so yeah, uh, it wasn't nearly as glorious as uh, Forbidden's by any means, uh, or ending a two-year campaign. Um, it ain't much, but it's honest work. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> um, but that being said, we are out of time. Um we will be continuing the D&D series for some time, I think. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. There is. And you know what? It doesn't have to be all DMing things. Hopefully we can get somebody with a lot more player experience um, to come talk. You know, I have speaking of Joey, he has a lot of gripes with her podcast. We could have like a Joey power hour where he just complains and talks about D&D at the same time. So <laughs> Joey would do nothing but complain because his character got frozen forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we actually found him in a later campaign. He did. Yeah, good times. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't save him. But anyways, Jackie, thanks for being on our little show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, I am the Pits signing off. And who else we got signing off here? Uh, TPK Forbidden's man. The TPK Forbidden Salt. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye.